episode number 85. It's unbelievable how a human being can block out the most earth-shattering events and remain unaffected. Welcome to the Torah Podcast. Lessons from authentic Judaism. Get the tools and inspiration you need for personal growth. Hosted by Rabbi Mitterhoff. Shalom, this is Rabbi Eliyahu Mitterhoff with this week's Torah Podcast. The Torah portion of the week is by Era. God wants your heart, free will and punishment. We can have a powerful parable about a doctor, a great story about Rav Shach and peace in your home, spiritual happiness in the home. So chapter 7 in Shmo starts out like this. Hashem said to Moses, See how I've made you a master of apparel, and I and your brother shall be your speaker. You shall speak everything that I should command you, and I and your brother shall speak to Paro, that he should send the children of Israel from his land. And I shall harden Pharaoh's heart, and I shall multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. Power will not heed you. And I shall put my hand upon Egypt. And I shall take out my legions, my people, the children of Israel, from the land of Egypt with great judgment. And Egypt shall know that I am Hashem when I stretch out my hand over Egypt. And I shall take out the children of Israel from among them. So we see from here that Hashem is going to harden Paro's heart. All the early commentators are involved with how can it be that God took away free will from Paro? And if God took away free will from Paro, how can it be that Paro gets punished? It was Hashem that's making him do what he does. It's Hashem that's making him decide not to let the Jewish people go. So what does it have to do with him? So the Torah wants to answer that Paro was not punished for disobeying God's command by not letting the Jewish people out of Mitzrayim. The reality he was punished for the excess cruelty he displayed. It's true that God controlled whether he's going to decide if they go out or not, but he, have to, but he didn't have to do it with such enthusiasm. He was punished for his character flaw because he was so inhumane. But the Rambam and the Ramban both want to give different answers. The Rambam in Hilfish Tshuva, chapter 6, Halakha 3, says like this. A person may commit a great sin or many sins, causing the judgment rendered before the true judge to be that the retribution administered for this transgression, for these sins, which he willfully and consciously committed, is that his tshuva be held back. He will not be allowed the chance to repent from his wickedness, so that he will die and be wiped out because of the sin he committed. And the Allah continues and says, For these reasons it is written in the Torah, in Exodus 14.4, I will harden Paro's heart. Since he began to sin on his own initiative and caused hardship for the Jewish people who dwelled in his land, like it says, come let us deal wisely with them, therefore he was judged and prevented from repenting. And God hardened his heart. And what that means is that the punishment he received for the sins he did before was that his free will was taken away. It wasn't the first thing he did, everything's equal, and therefore his free will is taken away. No, he sinned before. He caused tremendous hardships to the Jewish people before. And the sin was that his free will was taken away. And this is like the Ramban also says. It brings him into Shrabba that says, I have made his heart stubborn. Rev. Yochanan said, here the heretics have an opening that there's no possibility for, no possibility for power to repent. 
Rav Shemayishlakis said, let their mouths be sealed. If it is towards the scoffers, he will scoff. Why? Because first he warned him, a first time, a second time, a third time. And if he doesn't repent, so then the doors become locked for him to return. Because that's collective due of what he deserves. Just like here by Paro, he says, And the Holy One, blessed be he, sent messages to him five times, and he paid no attention to his words. It was only after the fifth plague. Then he got the punishment where he couldn't return. Like it says, You have stiffened your neck and hardened your heart. Now I will add further defilement unto your defilement. So the Ramban explains, If God hardened his heart, so what was his sin? The answer is the sin was the wickedness, the way he treated the Jewish people before that. And his punishment was that he can't repent. So that's the first explanation that the Ramban gives as to why Paro can still get punished even after God took away his free will. And that lines up with what the Rambam said. But there are other answers. He gives a second explanation which lines up with what the Sforno said. He says it's just the opposite. Really, he had free will. So what did it mean that God hardened his heart? When the plagues overwhelmed him and he was too exhausted to bear them, his heart weakened. So he started to consider sending them out because of the harshness of the plagues. But not because he wanted to do the will of his creator. So what did Hashem do? At that point, God hardened his spirit and emboldened his heart in order that God's name should be declared among the world. Like it says, I will be exalted and sanctified and will make myself known before the eyes of many nations. So Hashem hardened his heart that he's ordered to do what he really wants to do. Paro does not want to send out the Jewish people. The average person would have gave up. He would have said, that's it. I can't take the suffering anymore. And therefore, he would have gave in. Hashem strengthened his heart that he could do what he really wanted to do, which was not to let the Jewish people go out. And this is what the Sforno says. Without a doubt, were it not for the hardening of Paro's heart, he would have sent the Jewish people out. But not because of repentance or submission to God, but because he couldn't take the plagues anymore. So he says, that's not called repentance. But if Paro truly would have submitted to God with full repentance, there wouldn't have been any divine deterrent at all. There's a note on the Sforna that says like this, By giving them the strength, their freedom of will was unimpaired. Hence, if they would have repented of their evil ways, it would have been a voluntary act. So of course Paro is going to get punished for his deeds, because that's really what he really wanted. The average person would have gave up because of the suffering. Hashem strengthened Paro that he could do what he wanted, and what he wanted to do was bad. So Rav Desta wants to explain this opinion in the Sforno and the Ramban with this Gemara. It says, Rebbe Eliezer says, If Israel does tshuva, they will be redeemed. If not, they will not be redeemed. Rabbi Yeshua replied, If they do tshuva, they will not be redeemed? Surely God has promised that the Mashiach will come sooner or later. But God will raise up against them a king whose decrees are worse than Haman's, and the Jewish people will do tshuva. So the Maharal asked on this, he says, wait a second, both Rabbi Eliezer and Rabbi Yeshua agreed that the Jewish people will do tshuva. So he answers to two types, true. There is one tshuva where the person does it because it really comes from inside of his heart. He really wants to come back to God. But there's another type of tshuva that a person does just because he's suffering. So he stops sinning. That's just to relieve the suffering. But as soon as things get back to normal, he's going to go back to his sinning. 
But both of them are tshuva in the sense that they both stop sinning. So Rav Dessler explains, suffering can have two effects. They can bring a person to true tshuva, the spark of truth in his own heart, or it's just going to break his will, break his desires. Therefore, if the suffering removes, his desires come back. But the true purpose of all punishments is a complete repentance. But if a person stops sinning just because of the suffering, then the suffering, the point of the suffering has been frustrated. What's the point? Why is God bringing Surim difficult times on a person in order that people should come back to him? Not that they should just stop sinning in a sense temporarily. So what does God do? God acts to strengthen the heart of the sinner so he's not subdued by the sufferings in order that he'll be able to learn from his suffering to come back in true repentance. This is unbelievable. And this is true by every individual. We have to learn from the Torah how to act, how to behave. What are we learning from Paro? Every human being is like Paro. Look what he says. The greater the person, the greater is Yetzirah. The greater the forces against him. In other words, a person always has to have free will. So if a person grows and he sees that really he should change himself and he comes to a new level, that means that his Yetzirah, the forces against him, also have to become stronger. Otherwise, he'd become like an angel. He goes to the new level, and that's it. He's always doing good. He's a great guy, 100% good. He has no Yetzirah. So what does God have to do? He has to make his Yetzirah stronger. His evil inclination becomes greater. So he says, this is what happened to Paro also. This is beautiful. When Paro started to see all the miracles, and all of a sudden he starts to say, wait, maybe there really is a God in the world. The water turned to blood. There's frogs all over the place. All the animals died. What's going on here? Anybody in the right mind would see there's a God in the world, and God controls everything. So that means that he grew. He understood another level. Really, there is a God in the world. What did Hashem have to do? He had to harden his heart in order to keep his Bechira equal. This is what he does with every individual. He makes the Yetzirah stronger. This is what he says. The hardening of Paro's heart was not an extraordinary event. It's repeated in the heart of every person during his struggles with the Yetzirah. The verse where it says, I will harden Paro's heart, is translated by the Targum, I will harden the Yetzer of, of Paro's heart. This whole episode teaches us a great deal about the workings of the Yetzer in every human being. So even if an individual is suffering in his own life and he wants to come back to God, the question is, why does he want to come back to God? Is it 100% pure or not? Because if it's not pure and he wants to come back just to relieve the suffering, so since he's, and he, and he sees, hey, things are not going well in my life, must be, i got to change my ways. And then he gets the hero of tshuva that he's going to change his ways. But at the same time, since he has the hero of tshuva, the thought of tshuva of turning back to God, the Yetzirah has to come in and say, listen, maybe yes, maybe no. At that point, the person has to really decide. He has to really decide, do I want to come back to God or not? It's not just a question of removing the suffering or not. And the Shem Mishmuel brings a beautiful example of this from this Pasuk. It says like this, Paro said, I will send you that you may sacrifice your Lord, the God in the wilderness. But do not go far away. Pray for me. So you see the order says, first Paro says, I'm going to send you. And then afterwards, Paro says, pray for me. That's the Kasha of the Ezra. The order's backwards. Why do you say, okay, I'll send you. And by the way, you should pray for me. It should be on the condition that you pray for me that I'll send you. So he wants to answer, Paro didn't want to make it conditional. 
He didn't want to say, you know what, if you pray for me, I'll let you go. He wanted to make the impression that his tshuva was sincere. I'm letting you go from the goodness of my heart. By the way, please pray for me. That's how he wanted it to appear. And that's how proper tshuva should be. When a person is suffering and he's having a hard time in his life, and he has a ten plagues coming on him, so he has to return unconditionally, realizing that God is the master of the universe. God is the one who's bringing the suffering on him. God is the one who controls everything. And everything is minishamayim. Every little thing that happens to a person comes directly from God. So he has to return unconditionally, not just to remove his suffering, without conditions and without external factors. It shouldn't be dependent on if you pray for me, if you don't pray for me, if I become rich, if I become great. That has nothing to do with it. A person has to return to God because he's a master of the universe. And not only that, even if things get worse, he says, things he still has to return to God. He has to remain steadfast with his commitment and not deviate from his new level of commitment. And then he will have a perfect tshuva. And we know it happens to be true. When people decide to become more religious and all of a sudden they decide to take a commitment on themselves to daven, to learn, to do who knows what, to keep more mitzvahs, all of a sudden the Yetzir comes in and all these things start to happen. Everything starts to go haywire. And I have a proof for this from Tamar Devorah. Look what it says in Tamar Devorah. When a person confesses his wrongdoings in vidui, which is part of the chuba process, to confess your sins out loud, what happens? The Holy One, blessed be He, immediately decrees severe suffering on him for his sins. This is unbelievable. The person wants to come back to God. And what happens when he decides to make a real decision to come back? All of a sudden, the suffering starts to come on his head. But that's just because it's a test. He went to a new level. Not only is it a test, like the vidui, it's like a kapara. First you do vidui, when a person brings a sacrifice. First they, first they put their hands on the head of the animal. They say their vidui, they confess their sins on the head of the animal. And it's like the animal is them going to slaughter. Then they slaughter the animal. So first you have vidui, and then you have kapara. Kapara means atonement. As long as a person keeps sinning, why should he suffer? Hashem lets him go. Listen, do whatever you want. But once the person decides to clean himself up, so Hashem also cleans him up. And he brings suffering on the person. But the person's on a different level. He can handle the suffering. And everything that Hashem does is good. And everybody's suffering takes him to another level. When he suffers, he's going to go up even higher. Because he'll repent even more. Now the Chavetz Chaim has a different answer to the question. He asks, how could the gates of repentance be locked before Pharaoh? These gates are normally open to everyone, even the worst sinners. The answer that he wants to give is, sinners are usually given help from heaven to repent. And that's why we ask for help. We pray, bring us back in complete repentance before you. On the other hand, some sinners have piled up so many sins that help from heaven is withheld from them, and they must arouse themselves to repent. So it wasn't that the free will was taken away from Paro. It was the help from heaven for a person to come back to God that he normally has. If the sins become so piled up, so great, the help stops. But that doesn't mean that he couldn't repent. And this is what the Chavetz Chaim says. It was the same mistake like Acher, who heard a heavenly voice, return wayward sons, 
all except Akhir. So he thought, Akhir, that's it. I'm finished. I can never come back to God. I'm finished. And he didn't repent. But he didn't realize that his free will was not taken away from him. The heavenly voice only meant that Hashem's not going to help him to repent. But if he really, really, really wants, he can come back. And Rav Schwab wants to bring a proof for this idea. He brings the Pasuk. It says, Until when will you refuse to be humbled before me? This is what Moshe Rabbeinu said to Paro. So the Kash is, what do you mean? How could he ask him to be humble before him when Moshe Rabbeinu knew that his heart was going to be hardened? What's he asking from him? So he wants to answer that even though it's true, it was decreed already that Paro is not going to let the Jewish people go. But at least he could have humbled himself before Moshe. That was still within his free will. So the problem was that he didn't humble himself. But if he would have humbled himself, he could have done tshuva also. And he brings down that Enochinami, we know that the Rambam said there are various that a person could do that he can't do tshuva for. And he can't return to God. But still, nothing stands in the way of tshuva. If he would have humbled himself, he could have eventually came back to God. So Revolby says, what can we learn from this whole story? And how can we understand this whole madness of power? What was he, insane? The answer is, no, it has to do with the heart. It's our hearts. Rachmana liba boy, Hashem wants our hearts. And if we don't work on our hearts, we can't come back to God. He brings like this, he says, The Shema, which we say twice a day. In the first paragraph, it says, You shall love Hashem with all your heart. And it also says, Place these words on your heart. In the second paragraph, it says, Serve Him with all your heart. Later in the second paragraph, it says, Be careful, lest your heart be swayed. Then it says, And you should place these words upon your heart. The last paragraph, it says, Do not stray after your heart. The key to success in Avodah Hashem is the ability to have our Torah and Avodah, our Torah and our worship of Hashem, to penetrate our hearts. It's not enough to learn to perform the mitzvahs. He says, Paro understood in his mind in his sechel. He saw the ten plagues were happening, but it didn't penetrate his heart. And he says, we do the same thing. That's exactly the point. The Torah is teaching us something. It's not just a story. He says, it's unbelievable how a human being can block out the most earth-shattering events and remain unaffected. And we do it to ourselves all the time. Hashem is sending us messages. And we pay no attention. person has major things happen in his life. He's not even moved. I had a friend once who had a growth inside of his lungs, the size of a grapefruit, and they had to break open his ribs to take it out. I spoke to him a month after the operation. How are you doing? Oh, everything's fine. Everything's great. No spiritual change. No thought of juva, of coming back to God. And we do it all the time to ourselves. So Hashim Shavafar Hirsch learns from the three Lashonos. The three things it said about Paro's heart. The first one was kashe. He had a hard heart. It means hardened. What does that mean? Not to absorb impressions. Not to be affected by anything. The second language was kaved. Heavy. Difficult to move. Maybe a person can get an impression, but there's a big gap 
between the impression and the influence of the impression he received from what happened to him. That's heavy. And the third thing it says about Paro's heart, it was chazak. Hashem mechazek, Hashem strengthened his heart. Firm. What does that mean? Deliberately resisting. Hashem sending you a message and you don't care. It happens to all of us. You're stubborn in your way. You're strong in your ways. So these are the things we need to work on. We need to hear the message that Hashem is sending to us. We need to respond. We need to react. We need to feel. We have to give God our hearts. Rachman aliba boy, Hashem wants your heart. It's the only way. That's what religion is about. And if a person does this, he becomes a new person. He can do tshuva shlema, full repentance. He can become a new human being. And you got to hear what Moshe Feinstein says about this. Just like in the negative, if a person does too many sins and he continues that way, Hashem doesn't help him, and he continues down that line, and he gets punished for the direction that he went into, even though it started out, which means it started out with free will, and then it became habit, and that was the end of the guy, finished, and he gets punished. But you can have the opposite also. You got to hear this. He says there are those who are rewarded by Hashem for their good deeds by taking away the evil inclination means they do so much good that it becomes natural to them. And not only that, but they're going to get rewarded for it. Not that it becomes natural to them, and therefore it's just natural, you know? Why should they get rewarded? That's who they are. No, if they worked on themselves, and they did good deeds, and they get to the level, it becomes natural for them. At that point, they're still rewarded for their level. Look what it says. The Gemara in Baba Basra, 17a, says like this. This is the meaning of David Amalek's statement in Tehillim. My heart has died within me. David Amalek said, It is through his good deeds he earned the removal of his evil inclination. Therefore his heart, a reference to the evil inclination, is said to have been dead. When Hashem removes the inclination from the righteous, it allows them to serve Hashem without any struggle at all. Will this lessen the amount of reward they receive? No. If Paro, who no longer had the ability to fight his own inclination, is punished, as if he choose not to fight, surely the righteous, who must no longer fight the evil inclination, they'll still be rewarded as if they chose and they won a mighty battle. So we see, if we continue in the wrong way, eventually, God forbid, it becomes such a mess, there's no way out of it. And we get punished even though we were, in a certain sense, onus. We started out not onus. We started out responsible. Why responsible? Because we chose to do the wrong things. But as it continues down the line, we could get punished. And that's the end of us. God forbid. On the other hand, if we choose to do good and we use our hearts to hear the words of Hashem, to hear the message that Hashem is sending us, to listen, to let it penetrate us, to let the oppressions of the outside world and what's happening to us affect our hearts. If we do that, then we can go in the up direction. And then we can get used to doing good things and doing the right things. And then we get rewarded even for levels that are easy for us. Here is a powerful parable to open your mind and help you reach your potential. The verse says, Therefore, say to Ben Yisrael, I am Hashem. I will bring you out from under the burdens of Egypt, and I will save you from the slavery. I will redeem you with the outstretched arm, with acts of great judgment. I will take you to myself as a people. So on this, the Magi Maduva brings a mushal. He says, one time a man fell ill, 
and included in his illness was a lot of different symptoms. He had headaches, he lost his appetite, he had insomnia. So if a doctor comes in and says, okay, I see your situation. Listen, I have this medication for your headache. I have that medicine to help your appetite. And I have a different medicine to help you sleep. So then the patient understands, right, this is what's going on here. He's just treating my symptoms. Then he understands that the actual illness, the cause of all these things, is beyond the doctor's ability to cure them. But if when the doctor comes in and says, don't worry, I promise you when the time comes, you will be completely healed. But right now, I can only help you with these side problems. So then you'll have confidence in the doctor. That was the mushal. What's the nimshal? So too, it says, when Hashem said, I will take you out. I will save you. I will redeem you. I will take you. So if it was just for that, maybe the Jewish people would think they're never going to be redeemed. But since he started out by saying, I am Hashem. As the Midrash says, he would redeem them when the end would come. And there would be eternal redemption. At that point, the Jewish people were confident that they were going to be redeemed. It's time for Great Stories About Great Rabbis. The verse says, And on that day I shall distinguish the land of Goshen, upon which my people stands, and there shall be no mixture of wild beasts there. In other words, the verse is telling us that the plague of the wild beasts is not going to be in the land of Goshen where the Jewish people are. So one Friday night in the middle of the first Gulf War, there were missiles flying over B'nai Brak, and they could hear the explosions in the next city, Ramat Gan. So the next morning, a person who was close to Rav Shach came with excitement and said, we've just witnessed a modern-day equivalent to this verse, and on that day I should distinguish the land of Goshen, which my people stands. In other words, they weren't hit, just the neighbors were hit, but B'nai Brak wasn't hit. So Rav Shach said just the opposite. What you're saying is foolish. First of all, don't be arrogant and think that the miracles that are occurring to the Jewish people nowadays are equal to the miracles that occurred then. It's just the opposite. Instead of thinking that B'nai Brak doesn't deserve any punishment, we should realize that the whole storm is only because of us. We have to do tshuva. We have to come back to God. And we have to ask ourselves, why did the missiles come on Friday night? Maybe it's the way we're behaving on Friday night. In the winter, the meal ends around 7, 8 o'clock. What do the young Torah scholars do from then until midnight? Do they go learn? Perhaps it's what's demanded of us to strengthen our Torah learning on Friday night. That's what's causing the missiles to come in. Learn to give, love, and communicate. This is Peace in Your Home. So Moshe Aaron Stern speaks on spiritual happiness in the home. The verse says, Hashem placed the tree of life in the middle of the garden. So why was the tree of life placed in the middle of the garden? So the Chavetz Chaim explains, the tree of life means eternal spiritual life. And everybody can get it. Why is it placed in the middle? Because some people get it through good deeds. Some people get it through learning. Some people get it through prayer. But every person has right to it. Every person can get eternal life. That's why Hashem placed it in the middle of the garden. So too, he says, our world too has an Eitzchayim in its center, with many avenues leading into it, and that's happiness in your home, spiritual happiness. Everybody must study the past to get to it. So he says, a cheerful mood is necessary for a happy existence. He explains, if you mean an avrech, a guy who's sitting and learning, and his world has gone black, 
He's going to give you a dozen reasons why, but he's probably too embarrassed to say the real reason. And that's because he's lost his happiness in his learning. If a person doesn't get satisfaction from his learning, he's going to blame his life on all kinds of things. The verse says, Because you did not serve Hashem with joy in the goodness of your heart. When joy in Torah and mitzvahs is lacking, the person feels as if all the tochachas are on his back. All the rebukes. The Chazanish writes, None of the pleasures of this world can compare to delving in Torah. Like David Amalek said, Were your Torah not my loving occupation, I would be lost in my poverty. The heart who seeks Hashem shall rejoice. And what happens if a man loses his joy? Then he starts to complain, and his house falls apart. But if he has spiritual joy, and he feels satisfied, so everything in life is good, and his house is also good. He says every individual can find his own spirituality, his own way. Somebody can write this book, you can write that book. You can open an organization, you can help people. Different ways to find spirituality, to bring it into your house, which is going to make you happy and make your house happy. It brings a story. There was once two yeshiva bachrim that got, both of them got married at the same time. And one was, they were both kavrusas, and they were both very good students. But one went up and one went down. As time went by, he spoke to the second Rav Reich. And the Rav came and says, Ay, my mother was horrible. I'm, he's, I'm happy all the time. Four complaints. He's complaining, what's the kolo? It's giving me such little money. How am I supposed to live like this? He comes home tense and anxious. He doesn't feel honored in his house. His wife doesn't give him any honor. His whole world's gone black. So after he spoke to him for a while and he checked out what was going on, he understood that the boy lost his enthusiasm for learning. What was he doing? He'd show up late to Kolel. He would take trips here and there. He was trying to do things to avoid learning. Then what happened? The Rosh Kolel began complaining. And instead of the boy admitting, you're right, I have to do something, he claimed he was being persecuted. And now he feels broken. So the Rav said to him, look at the difference between you and your Chavrusa, who's still learning. Isn't your situation due to the fact that once you got pleasure from learning Torah, but now you don't get the pleasure? Where do you expect to find fulfillment? How do you expect to be happy? Happiness, real happiness only comes from spirituality. One time somebody came to the base of Levi and says, hey, don't you remember me? We learned for several years. We used to slide in the snow together in the winter. He says, I don't understand. You became a great Rav and I became nothing. He says, it's true. That's because you slid downwards and I slid upwards. Without deep Torah study and mitzvahs, a Ben Torah feels no fulfillment. And this leads to steep deterioration. It brings him into Tanchuma. It says like this. One time it says that two birds were fighting and one bird killed the other bird. And the one that killed the other one picked up some grass, put it in the bird's mouth, and the bird came back to life. So a man who was watching this took some of that grass with him, and he went off. So as he was going, he saw a dead lion lying on the side of the road. So he took some of the grass and put it in the lion's mouth. What happened? The lion became alive and ate him. That was the Masha. What's the nimshal? If you try to find too much joy, happiness... In the material world, it's like feeding a dangerous lion. 
is he says, if you want to see true Kalpanis, you should have came to the Chazanish's house. He was sitting there with a small Gemara and a couple Rishonim, early commentators, and he was immersed in learning. At the same time, his door was open to everyone. People came in for Aitzes, advice. Any hater boy could recognize this was true happiness. So one time I just traveled to Bnei Brak to watch the Chazanich Davin for an hour. I felt that I was in front of a man who was really singing to God. So he says a wise person should use his marriage and his house to grow spiritually. And if you grow spiritually, you'll really be happy. And then you'll have a happy home. Okay, that's it for this week's Torah podcast. Please share it with your friends and please leave comments. Thank you for listening. To get more enthusiasm for your Judaism, become a free member at globalyeshiva.com.